0: Welcome to the Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast, a recap of the in-person breakfast that takes place the first Wednesday of every month at the Leadership Institute's Stephen P.J. Wood Building in Arlington, Virginia. November's breakfast speaker was Tom Fitton, president of Judicial Watch. This was recorded live on November 7th, the day after the midterm elections. Well, what an exciting day it is today, huh? Is everyone wide awake? You know, the outcomes of elections sometimes aren't what you hope they might be, <clears throat> but they are what they are. <clears throat> and the question you have to ask yourselves is, did you do what you can do? And, you know, it seems kind of like a bromide, doesn't it? But a lot of people can't, don't do what they can do uh, in terms of political activism, in terms of public policy activism. And you can bet Judicial Watch does what it can do uh, to advance the values that we share. Uh, We're a conservative organization. Obviously, we focus on corruption. But as conservatives, we understand that corruption is endemic with an out-of-control government, uh, lack of transparency in an out-of-control government, and the general enterprise of socialism, which is inherently corrupt, because it tends to pick winners and losers, and not for incompetent reasons, often for for, for corrupt reasons. Uh, There's a few things that happen in Washington, D.C., in terms of major major public policy advances, in terms of the liberal agenda, uh, that you you shouldn't you'd have to look behind the curtain to see who benefits and who loses, and usually there's some corruption involved there. So that's something that uh, Judicial Watch understands, and uh, it also shows the importance of having outside independent voices providing oversight of over our government, because I think we're in a crisis right now. I want you to think about this. We had elections, and let's let's pretend the Republicans had won. But let's pretend it was yesterday, for instance. We have elections, we have campaigns, you have votes, the more or less are counted, when not negated by illegal votes. Uh, then they come into, they come onto the hill, and they sign essentially checks, uh, for. Billions and billions of dollars without as much as a hearing. They have hearings, but no practically, practically speaking, no uh, appropriations hearing that gets at the underlying issues behind what is behind an agency budget. So you hear of Cromnibus and omnibus legislation. That's what I'm talking about, these massive bills of spending that are approved in one quick motion by the House and then the Senate and often signed by the President. And then the agencies get this money, and they don't think they should have to tell anyone about what they're doing with it. I exaggerate slightly, but unfortunately not much. Uh, They don't think they're answerable to Congress. Uh, They don't think they answer, in this case, to the president. So then we have the money being spent without any oversight. And then on top of that, um, this president at least, uh, I think, takes seriously the fact that the Constitution constrains what he does, But we've had presidents in the past, mainly eight years of Obama, who saw the Constitution as an impediment, and he endeavored to be a despot in many ways. So even taking the presidency out, you've got a real issue here because our money is being spent with no oversight and no accountability. So you may have a say as to who gets into Washington, but what happens in Washington is the opposite of self-government. The people's representatives are not doing the work necessary to vindicate your rights to citizens, your interests as voters, and your interests as taxpayers who deserve accountability for how their money is being spent. So that's the general problem we have. And then you get into the, drill down into the details, you have the lack of oversight uh, by Congress generally on issues of scandal that we're concerned about. and. Uh, the crisis is exacerbated because not only does the administrative state think that it's uh, not answerable to Congress or the president, but now they've taken steps to overthrow the president. And I think that's, that's the big issue of the Trump presidency. It's one that the House leadership failed to grapple with, and so now there's no longer um, a, a majority Republican House. You have, beginning in 2016, let me go back to 2012. You had an entire, uh, 2010, you had the rise of the Tea Party. And the left uh, did not like that. Uh, President Obama did not like that. He excoriated the Supreme Court uh, during a State of the Union address. And they didn't like it, so they thought of ways around it. And one way around that was to use the IRS to suppress the conservative movement that was arising, uh, they thought, as a result of this 5-4 decision in Citizens United. Uh, They targeted so-called dark money, uh, and uh, specifically the Tea Party. And as a result, uh, if you were a Tea Party group trying to get active between 2010 and 2012, you were unable to because the IRS refused to approve your application or hounded you with harassing questions that were invasive and uh, violative of the law. And in effect, the president of the United States, then who was running for re-election, was able to steal his election in plain sight because the IRS suppressed the entire Tea Party movement against him. You may recall in 2012, people said, "Where's the Tea Party?" But you may not know this, and this is something that Judicial Watch uncovered. Those, those of you most, I'm assuming most of you know what the sort of the work we do. We use the Freedom of Information Act uh, to get access to government records. We uh, sue government agencies when they are conduct uh, are engaged in wrongdoing. Uh, you know, minor issues, minor, minor. Minor activities. Uh, And one of the things we found in our IRS Freedom of Information Act litigation, and we uncovered it, not Congress, not the media. It wasn't voluntarily disclosed. It was disclosed as a result of going to federal court to force them to turn over records. The uh, IRS collaborated just uh, shortly before uh, the scandal was exposed with the IRS and the the FBI and the Justice Department to figure out ways to prosecute the very groups that Lois Lerner was suppressing. And in doing so, this is something competent that Congress did. It was actually Jim Jordan who did this. He found out subsequently not only did they collude, but the collusion included sending a million-plus pages of IRS records to the FBI for them to review, meaning virtually every file they had on every 501c4 social uh, political organization in the country. And only after, was that ex- after that was exposed was it, it, uh, did the uh, FBI turn the records back over to the IRS and said, well, you know what, we weren't allowed to have these to begin with. Included donor information. Guess who was running the FBI during that collusion period? No. Robert Mueller was the FBI director. So when, you know, when we mention Robert Mueller's name in Washington, D.C., we're all supposed to get down on our knees, fall down to the floor, you know, and give him homage. That's Robert Mueller's FBI, happily colluding with the Justice Department and the IRS to figure out ways to jail President Obama's political opponents. Is it any surprise in 2016 that the same group of people would come around? Mueller wasn't there at the time, but he would come late to the party use the very same powers of government to abuse and target opponents of the president? Of course. And that's why you had the FBI and the Justice Department and the CIA, maybe even the Defense Department and who knows who else, uh, misuse and target, uh, misuse the powers entrusted to them by the American people to spy on the Trump team. I could go into the details about <laughs> how that happened and who did what, but you all know Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, you know the general outlines, right? James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Loretta Lynch, Susan Rice, John Brennan, and at the same time, protecting Hillary Clinton from crimes that anyone else would have been arrested for and been prosecuted for. And I don't mean... I'm not. I, I just don't mean. I don't mean uh, in terms of. Uh, oh, she should have been arrested. No, if because of some vague national security crime. No, she would have been arrested if she were a regular federal employee. She would have been arrested. Some of you are probably former federal employees or current federal employees. Four and a half, I think, million people have access to classified information, have national security clearances. All of them know Hillary got away with it. But in many ways. Again, thanks to Judicial Watch, and I'll talk about this in a little bit more detail. She didn't get away with it, and I'll tell you why. But I'll tell you how we found the documents, because Judicial Watch is the group that uncovered the Clinton email scandal. Again, not Congress and not the media. And I, I give you all this background to let you know, uh, I, I'll digress a little bit, that don't worry about what happened in the House. Judicial Watch is here. It, it wasn't like they were doing anything to begin with, at least in terms of the work that we do. Uh, the, uh, so we had investigated and blew open the Benghazi scandal, another minor issue. <laughs> Remember what the Benghazi scandal is, the president of the United States and his top people lying repeatedly during election season, covering up a terrorist attack to ensure his reelection. Remember his campaign slogan, Bin Laden is dead, GM is alive. Not a bad campaign slogan, right? Well, it's not, it's not, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's undermined a bit when your ambassador is murdered by al-Qaeda elements and three other innocents. So they lied about it. They said it was a spontaneous demonstration caused by an Internet video created by a right-winger who they arrested when, in fact, they knew it was a terrorist attack from the beginning. And Judicial Watch uncovered that we uncovered White House documents showing that the talking points used by the corrupt and, lie, uh, and lying uh, UN Ambassador Susan Rice on five Sunday morning talk shows was set up by the White House. They said it was intelligence services that gave her the information she used. No, they're talking points composed by the White House, the political operation. But one, so that led to the creation of the Select Committee on Benghazi, another minor issue that Judicial Watch was behind. But one of the things we noticed in this mega Benghazi scandal, we were doing a lot of great work there, was no Clinton emails. And little old me, I'm an innocent person, I thought, well, maybe Hillary didn't use emails. (laughs) You know, maybe she was first lady, she ran for the Senate, then she ran for the presidency and lost then she was Secretary of State, and of course she ran for the presidency, lost again. But you can imagine someone from that background, maybe the email revolution had passed her by. Maybe she was just oblivious to it all, right? <laughs> well, you know, thank, thank the Lord we don't trust my uh, uh, guesswork. We just do the investigative work to make sure that we're right about this. There are no emails. So we asked again, where are Clinton's emails? And more or less, the government told us, well, you know, we gave you everything other than these other things we haven't looked at yet. And they finally admitted about the, to the Clinton email scandal. And we're still in the middle of it, believe it or not. We had three court hearings last month on it. There's another one, i got to figure out when it is, but it's this month, about whether or not she's going to have to answer more questions under oath. And that Clinton email scandal led to the disclosure of not only the scandalous misuse of this private system to avoid Freedom of Information Act requests, congressional inquiries, subpoenas, other demands, but also showed the mishandling of classified information that she lied about and also exposed the pay-to-play scheme where the State Department was a vehicle for taking care of Clinton Foundation donors. There was no line between the foundation and the State Department. And uh, Hillary Clinton isn't president because of that. You know, we we want her prosecuted according to the law, Uh, or at least we want an honest investigation. Whether she gets prosecuted or not is one thing. But the idea that uh, Hillary Clinton hasn't been held accountable simply isn't accurate because I think if the American people were sitting as a grand jury on Election Day I think they indicted her, don't you? And she's not president because of this corruption uncovered by Judicial Watch. Now, we didn't do this because Hillary Clinton was running for president. In fact, I didn't think she was going to run. Again, don't listen to me. (laughs) I run Judicial Watch. I don't do, I'm not Morton Blackwell. I'm not the political guy. I thought, well, she's, she's not going to run for president. I thought she was just in it for the money there. Well, I was right in one respect and wrong in the other. She was in it for the money, and she was going to run for president. So that is the, uh, that's a remarkable uh, development. Now, the question for the Justice Department, and one which hasn't been answered, and I'm trying to get some answers, is why is the Justice Department refusing to do anything about Hillary Clinton? Uh, as Jeff Sessions and Christopher Wray, the FBI director, have they endorsed what, James Comey and Loretta Lynch did in 2016? That she didn't violate the law or anything she did wasn't worth a prosecution? Is that their view too? I haven't heard them say one way or another what their view is. They may have decided (coughs) that to prosecute Hillary Clinton is a bridge too far politically or it may not be in the public interest to do so. But I'd like to hear them say that. Because Judicial Watch continues to get document after document showing that, for instance, remember, she only turned over half of her emails. She said she deleted the other half because they were about yoga and wedding plans. I love this. It was about wedding plans. Didn't you all have a governor who was facing criminal prosecution over his wedding plans for his daughter? So weddings aren't as personal as politicians like to think they are, aren't they? Uh, But it turns out the FBI was able to recover uh, a portion of the emails that she deleted or otherwise tried to withhold, and that included classified information. So we've been getting those documents and showing repeatedly over the last, uh, uh, basically this last year, in dribs and drabs, the documents have been coming out to us that she had classified information that was being destroyed and deleted. Further evidence of national security crimes by Hillary Clinton. And outrageously, she only had her security clearance yanked a few months ago. Well, she said she, uh, she withdrew her national security clearance. She asked that it be administratively ended. Well, you know, you know we're suing over that, figure out what went on. But one thing about that, Hillary Clinton was found to have had egregious violations of the public trust related to the handling of classified information. Whether she's been prosecuted or not is another matter. Yet this person was allowed to keep her security clearance up until August of this year. Now, we can't blame Barack Obama for that. We can't. Which leads me to the other crisis, which is, and the related crisis. Of course, Hillary Clinton was working with the FBI and the Justice Department to try to destroy Donald Trump, too, which I think is, you know, politically, if you can get away with it or get it done, more power to you. But that's not good government. And especially if you're working with Russian intelligence to wander uh, scandalous material into the FBI and Justice Department to justify spying on your political opponent. So this same Justice Department, the same group of senior FBI officials and DOJ officials were working hand in glove with the Clinton campaign while allegedly investigating them. So that was the result of what happened in 2016. We saw Hillary Clinton protected and the Justice Department and the FBI going full bore against President Trump. And the scandal is they still are protecting Hillary Clinton and still going full bore against President Trump. Jeff Sessions made the terrible mistake of accusing himself. He didn't need to do that. You had James Comey steal Bill uh, Baracko. I say Bill. I hear stealing FBI files. I say Clinton. No, it was Comey stealing Donald Trump's FBI files, leaking him to the New York Times with the express purpose of getting a special counsel invest, uh, appointed, which uh, the Justice Department happily did. And this special counsel has been harassing and impeding the president ever since, and the harassment is evident. How is he impeded? it? Well, he's not allowed to talk to the Justice Department about substantive matters related to the corruption that we're all talking about here, the misuse of FBI and Justice Department resources. Uh, he's not allowed to uh, get the Justice Department and the FBI to release information or declassify information. He's not allowed to talk to foreign leaders. He's not allowed to do his job as president. Now I know he is allowed to do all of those things. But because of this harassing special counsel investigation, he's been put in a box. And uh, I remember talking to someone in the White House about this issue with the Justice Department and they said to me, "Tom, you know, one thing we got to understand is after this is all over, we got to bring a, we got to figure out a way to bring the Justice Department back into our government. This is Justice Department thinks it doesn't answer to the president." Going back to what I said in the beginning, talk about of the agencies that are most out of control. The Justice Department thinks it answers to no one. It was as contemptuous of the pre- congressional oversight and Republican oversight. It was contemptuous of the president's directions on this major uh, matter. And so we have this uh, ongoing effort by the president's own Justice Department to investigate him and harass him. And he's not allowed to say anything about it, or so we're told. And more importantly, he's not allowed to do anything about it, or so we're told. So he can't fire Sessions, he can't fire Rosenstein, he can't fire Mueller. Now, I'm not suggesting he do any of that. I think the Mueller investigation should be shut down. But it's a significant constitutional crisis. Now, Democrats are going to come into the Congress... And, of course, they've been able to use the Justice Department to harass and abuse the president. They're happy to have Mueller operating. But, of course, the Republicans, did you hear any Republicans talk about Mueller in any significant way, even our friends? Anyone talk about bringing Mueller in to testify, about his inability to find any Republicans to work for him, basic issues like that? about the corruption behind his appointment, about the fact he had Peter Strzok, this anti-Trumper, working, leading his investigation, and then having to ax him because of these text messages showing he was an anti-Trumper, but hiding that from the American people for four months. Where's the accountability for Robert Mueller? Well, we're not going to get it. We didn't get it from the Republican Congress. They were afraid. The Democrats are going to incorporate the Mueller approach, I would presume, in the, into uh, the way they manage the Trump administration or try to manage the Trump administration. So I, I don't see much in the way changing there. And recall the oversight and the you know the, the FISA app- warrant FISA warrant applications that we uncovered that first time they've ever been released and. Uh, we got them out. They showed that the FISA Corp was misled by the Justice Department and the FBI during both the Obama and Trump administrations to get spy, get spy authorization on the Trump team. We received other documents showing that Christopher Steele, who was one of the, uh, the foreign national that Hillary Clinton was working with to destroy Donald Trump, and that the FBI was working with to destroy Donald Trump, had uh, 13 meetings in 2016 with the FBI. 11 of them resulted in payments to him. And those meetings uh, continued until, I think, October or November, And then the FBI said that he's not to be used as a confidential human for- source anymore. He's not to collect intelligence. yet they continued to do so, nevertheless, the fact that he had de- ne- despite the fact that they had concluded that he was not appropriate to use as a confidential human source because he was leaking stuff. You know, the FBI, you know, we'll give you some info. You give us some info. That's how it works with some of these sources. And uh, they don't like it when it gets leaked to the media. But they continue to the use steel through Bruce Orr, Justice Department official, and more directly, I think, through Peter Strzok and others. Outrageous scandals. And the House is focused on that quite, quite ably in many ways. There's been pressure to release more information, by the president, pressure for the pressure uh, on the president to release more information. I thought he was going to do it, but then he deferred to the deep state. I don't understand why he did that. But there's never been a focus on Mueller directly, and I, and I really think there's this constitutional absurdity of the Justice Department investigating the president for his official acts. And That doesn't mean the president is above the law. It just means that the Constitution needs to apply to this situation. You can't force the president to investigate himself. It's absurd. Who does Mueller report to? The president. And he's being investigated for firing Mueller's boss at Mueller, for a position that Mueller applied for or talked to the White House about taking? A firing that was approved by the guy who appointed Mueller, Rod Rosenstein, I means a circular firing squad and constitutionally it's an abomination. Now, the other side of that coin is if they want to investigate what the President did in his official capacity, the constitutional way of doing that is through congressional oversight. But even that is limited by the Constitution because the President is a separate branch of government and Congress obviously has an interest and you get into your traditional back and forth between Congress and the President. And it will be a lot of yelling and screaming, which is not unusual in Washington, D.C., but at least it's constitutional yelling and screaming, the typical tension between Congress and the executive branch in oversight fights, as opposed to the Congress hijacking the Justice Department to harass the President. I mean, imagine you're President of the United States. Every time you have to talk to Russia, you're worried that special counsel is listening in or are going to be asking you questions about it? And since the special counsel has a virtually unlimited view of the scope of his authority, maybe every communication he has with anything that is almost indirectly tied to Russia is subject to scrutiny. And I don't think the president should be harried that way. So, the Judicial Watch is second to none in investigating. What is, what we're, what's going on with this deep state attack on President Trump. We have over 30 Freedom of Information Act lawsuits. We've had key disclosures as a result of those lawsuits. And it looks like our work is going to be more important than ever. I know it's hard to say how important our work was and then say we're going to be even more important, but it looks like we're going to be even more important because the House is going to focus on Irrelevancies. Uh, they can do their investigations into issues they care about. But one of the first things they said, and I'll, I'll close with this, and I'll leave it open for questions because I probably you probably all want to do a little therapy. The uh, they said they were going to get President Trump's tax returns. The abuse begins immediately, doesn't it? They just can't help themselves. Now, tax returns under under the law can be reviewed by I think the chairman or responsible uh, leadership of the House Ways and Means Committee, they have the right to review tax returns privately. But there's got to be a lawful reason for doing so. They were investigating, for instance, the IRS scandal, so they needed to review private confidential tax information of American citizens and organizations in order to do that work. But to use that power to force... The president of the United States, the, who's not required to make public his, his uh, tax IRS information, Let's just look. that's just a, a habit that some presidents have gotten into. So some have, some haven't. It's all it's basically since Nixon. Uh, th- there's no good faith basis for having your political opposition review, even if it is the co- so-called first branch, uh, the first branch to review one's tax returns. Is that is that going to be the standard, that because we don't like you, we're going to look for your tax returns because we don't like you and we think you're a crook? We're just going to use it as an excuse to get your tax returns and look at them for in terms of a fishing expedition? Well, I hope the president resists that strongly. And then, of course, you'll get your typical subpoena fights more or less. But the minuscule oversight that I've been talking about is going to stop in the House and on the issues that we care about, the overthrow of the Constitution, the overthrow of the presidency, things like that. So Congress isn't going to do that work anymore. You may get Jack Grassley and the Senate that keeps on doing it, but it's going to be judicial watch. It's going to be the only vehicle for getting this material out there now. The House was an imperfect vehicle because they didn't release all the material they got because... Congress isn't subject to the Freedom of Information Act. So to the degree you've been supporting Judicial Watch, I want you to increase your support and recognize that it is essential that we make this anti-corruption, government accountability mission as much a part of our conservative outlook as lower taxes, defending human life, a strong national defense and economic liberty. Because all of those are are, will be secondary and will never get anywhere if our government thinks it can do whatever it wants to put us in jail and target us. It's the IRS targeting the citizenry and the organizations that were representing citizens and then they targeted the candidate Trump, then they targeted the president, look what they did to Justice Kavanaugh. No rules well, we need the rule of law, and you can count on Judicial Watch to promote it and try to protect it. And all we can do is what we can do, but you can bet we're going to do it. So, thank you very much for your attention. I'll leave some time for questions here. Um, so I'll let I'll let the folks with the microphone. <laughs> the. Um, I was one of my. I've been longtime supporter of your organization, but I have a question about. I remember they appointed, a, I think, a former U.S. attorney out of Utah. I can't remember was it look at Benghazi or Hillary stuff, and the guy's like dropped off scope. Have you guys heard anything? What is he doing? I mean, is he is he in, in a coma or something? I mean, it seems like he was appointed last, you know, right in twenty seventeen, and. Not, I haven't heard anything uh, of what he's doing. I don't even know if he still exists. Uh, Thank you for your support. Uh, The U.S. attorney is John Huber. I think that's how his name is pronounced, H-U-B-E-R. He's in Utah. So if you're thinking of having a good person to investigate what's going on in Washington, you appoint someone from Utah to do it. And the appointment was part of an uh, effort to take pressure off the Justice Department to get a special counsel to investigate the abuses I'm talking about. And when you look at what Mr. Uber was uh, uh, Uber was uh, asked to investigate, it was he was asked to do nothing. He was asked to review and suggest to the Justice Department whether something needs further investigation. So uh, he's doing exactly what he was appointed to do: nothing. We got some other. Let's go to this side next. Who has the microphone? Yeah, pick someone. Thank you. With the. Go ahead. Okay. I no. I was pointing to him. He can take it. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you go next. Uh, with the Democrat conquest of the House, we're told that investigations are coming. Uh, what do you see as the primary risks of this? And in a brief way, what can we do tactically to avoid what those risks are in terms of perjury traps or, or whatever threats you think we're facing here? Uh, there's no risk. There's no risk other than um, you know, being in a political fight that may have adverse political consequences. And that's something for the for you political activists and party guys to figure out uh... my view is uh, to the degree they're they're asking for records about the operations of the white house and advice the president is getting and receiving he has constitutional prerogatives to withhold information otherwise they should turn over the documents and just grin and bear it Um, you know they should fight where it's appropriate constitutionally uh, the concern I have is that they will fight too much because I know in our Freedom of Information Act requests, we're always battling in the Justice Department and these agencies as if no one, nothing changed. And, it's, uh, and they often have a legal leg to stand on. And if there's a legal leg to stand on in terms of transparency for your average government lawyer, they will stand on it and prevent you from getting access to the information. So I would recommend the administration not overreact to the House uh, changing hands, and and be as cooperative as they can with the House. Now, politically, they'll get no credit for doing that, and even when cooperating, they'll be attacked for not cooperating. Uh, but uh, I think it I think it would be a good to be perceived to doing so. I mean, politically, it would be good to be perceived to be doing so, and in terms of policy, it would be good to do so uh but you but you know that's easier said than done in terms of uh whether or not the house is going to restrain itself in terms of its you know if the focus is going to be on the president's tax returns you know that's just going to be a donnybrook yes sir um as an american taxpayer i look at the mueller investigation and i don't for the life of me understand why the same degree of scrutiny isn't being given to his return on investment and how his money is being spent and why the American people are continuing to watch this fiasco without understanding the cost involved in that for the American people. Thank you. Well, we've asked for the budget information. Justice Department refused to give it to us. Uh, Congress refuses to do that basic oversight. Look, it costs a lot of money to run an investigation like that. So the costs are not surprising to me. Uh, what is surprising is the blasé attitude by members of Congress over an investigation that for which you don't need a special counsel. Much of these prosecutions uh, were not related to uh, the campaign, the big Manafort prosecutions, um had nothing to do with Russia collusion, had nothing to do with the idea that the campaign was colluding with the Russians. Uh, There's simply Michael Cohen's uh, prosecution, another issue. The investigations and the the indictments of the Russians in Russia for doing what they supposedly did a, there wasn't much to be done there in the sense that a lot of it is already public as a result of Devin Nunes' investigation. B, uh, as soon as they filed the indictments, which would never be pursued because they're Russians living in Russia, <laughs> they gave them to, back to the Justice Department for them to pursue, meaning that they're never going to be really be pursued. So they're filed, and then the special counsel doesn't do anything after that. I mean, it, it's it's an it's absurd waste of resources to have this extra-layer investigative authority in the Justice Department. And Mueller, in my view, is king of the Justice Department. He, uh, No one's allowed to ask questions. He's the, he's the tail wagging the dog in the Justice Department. And there's a story in the Washington Post, if it's to be believed, a few we- uh, weeks ago, where Andrew McCabe, who reports to Rod Rosenstein, were arguing in a room with Mueller who should recuse themselves. <laughs> McCabe's saying he should... Re- Rosenstein should recuse himself, Rosenstein said uh, uh, Comey, excuse, no. McCabe said that Rosenstein should recuse himself, and Rosenstein said that Comey should recuse himself, they're yelling at each other in front of Mueller, who's, who's playing daddy, and Rosenstein said, well I didn't recuse myself because Mueller's most, comp- most, com- uh, most comfortable with the situation the way it is, well who is running the show over there? I mean, not only, not only is it pernicious, but juvenile, the way that Justice Department is being run on this Russian investigation. You know, it was funny. I was at the Kavanaugh hearings the other day. Not the hearings. I was at the hearings, but I was at the swearing in. I was honored to be in attendance there. And I'm walking out and I hear, Tom, Tom. And who sought me out and said hello but Rod Rosenstein? <laughs> and we exchanged some, I told him we need our documents. He said something quietly in return. (laughs) And I, uh, well, the one joke I did make, and he laughed, he said, uh, I said that, um, well, you know the reason they don't like Justice Kavanaugh on the court, the left, is because when Barron Trump is running for president, Justice Kavanaugh may still be on the Supreme Court. And he he laughed at that. It's not really that funny, but he laughed. (laughs) But the point is, he's a political guy, you know? Uh, I don't think I'm a. Uh, I don't call them to be fired every other day, but I'm certainly no no friend of the uh, Rosenstein approach to the Mueller operation. But uh, I mean, we've all met politicians. It doesn't matter how much you criticize them; they just think you're your buddies if they see you in person. It doesn't matter to them. <laughs> yes, sir. Your turn now. Uh, could you please comment? And I'm a supporter. Uh, could you please comment to what degree? Is President Obama responsible for the intelligence services operating against President Trump and trying to overthrow him? Oh, I think he was very much aware of and approved of it. Remember that meeting where James Comey brought the dossier of that Russia intel garbage to Trump to try to intimidate him and say, oh, look, this is what we got on you. I just wanted you to know. Well, that was all talked about in a meeting with Barack Obama. You know, Barack Obama, you know, they talked about having Comey bring that to the uh, incoming president. And there's no doubt in my mind that the president of the United States uh, would be kept in the dark about an effort to spy on uh, the candidate of the opposition party. You know, you have to recall, President Trump's involvement in that election was historically largely unprecedented, it hadn't been for 100 years that you had an incumbent president as actively engaged in supporting his uh, candidate's choice to succeed him as President Obama did. I mean, you can just think in recent history. I mean, George Bush wasn't on the hustings for John McCain. Uh, it, just, it just didn't happen. Ronald Reagan was not on the hustings for George Bush even. Uh, it just hasn't happened recently. And, and, and you think of it recent history, but you, have, you can go back 100 years and it hasn't happened. So President Obama's involvement in our election campaigns was highly unusual, so he is very much committed to seeing uh, Hillary uh, take over and continue his uh, revolutionary progressive agenda. Uh, so I have little doubt he uh, didn't use every power available to him, uh, both licit and licit. This may be a little bit outside your wheelhouse. First of all, we're uh, we supporters too, and every month when I get your newsletter, I read something else that outrages me. <laughs> <laughs> but I have I have friends who um, lean towards the left, and I and I can't say much to them, but I try, and they just act like none of this matters. And how do I get the word across, get the idea across to them that this stuff matters? Well, you know what. Washington uh, distorts the views of Americans in the sense that it's a, it's an, uh, there are many issues that Americans have wide agreement on, and I think most Americans don't like corruption. And I think when talking to leftists, you should say you're concerned that the Justice Department and the FBI was being misused to target uh, uh, their political opposition. And you may think it's okay now because it's President Trump, but you won't think it's okay when it's someone on your side. And what we need to do is figure out ways to make sure our Justice Department and the FBI are accountable uh, to our elected branches of government the president, who is preso- presumably overseeing them and appointing them and supervising them, and Congress. I mean, that's a general issue. Now, the left isn't, you know, leftists in the activist sense aren't honest. So you can't really discuss with them about this. I mean, they know exactly what I'm talking about. It's power politics, and you know everything is a vehicle for getting what they want. And So you know they can't put us in jail. You know they they uh, so they use the IRS to target us. I mean, so they use what they can do legal, uh, legally uh, and get away with it. But um, I think most everyday Americans, everyday voters, have concerns about the issues I'm talking about. Um, you know, uh, last time we checked at Judicial Watch, we have a, I'd say we have a, almost 700,000 active supporters. I, I think a third of them are Democrats. I mean, and of course that just makes sense. Who, who's in favor of corruption? Who's in favor of corruption? Who's in favor of government secrecy? No one's going to say they're in favor of corruption and government secrecy. Sometimes I will in terms of government secrecy because I don't think everything should be uh, uh, published. But uh, most Americans agree with us generally. It's the specifics, so don't get into the specifics. Talk about the general idea of being anti-corruption. Yes. You mentioned towards the end of your presentation just as a kind of aside that Congress exempted itself from the Freedom of Information Act. In the history of the deliberations and when that Uh, Act was enacted, do you know what the rationale, do you recall what the rationale was that what they gave, that why they should be above the law? Well, I don't know if they exempted themselves per se, as opposed to setting up a law to make sure that the president, uh, the executive branch is subject to the Free Information Act. The law was enacted in 1967 or 68, uh, so I don't recall whether that issue came up. Uh, I've raised it repeatedly when I testify. As was noted in the intro, I do testify regularly, uh, and um, there are members who kind of acknowledge that they would FOIA should apply to Congress, but they don't want to do. I mean, you can just imagine why they don't want to have FOIA apply to Congress. Look at those sexual harassment claims that we've been, you know, and um, and and it's it's a constitutionally it's an odd thing because then Congress would be subjecting itself to potentially oversight by the courts, right? Uh, You could have the president file Freedom of Information Act requests. Uh, How would that work? So you can understand why it might be one of these constitutional conundrums that you may not be able to get to, but I'm convinced that both the the judiciary at the federal level is also not subject to FOIA, that you can get access to information about Congress's general operations administratively, for instance, while protecting the prerogatives of individual members, who are maybe constitutionally like all little mini presidents in terms of having their internal deliberations and communications protected, so I think there's a way of threading the needle that gives more transparency to the American people about the way Congress operates, while protecting the constitutional prerogatives. I think we would all agree Congress has, if we thought about it, in terms of our democratic, our republican form of government that the Constitution set up. Uh, I'm always happy to work that through with members. Maybe Nancy Pelosi will be interested in doing (laughs) it. Hey, don't laugh. You know, uh, Judicial Watch was one of the few conservative groups that worked with Nancy Pelosi to uh, uh, reform the ethics process on the Hill. So we've worked with her in the past. So I tell you what, we have... um, closing time. Um, Why don't we ask a few questions all at once and I'll try to get to them all and we'll wrap it up. Also a supporter of Judicial Watch, my question is uh, why can't the Senate succeed to the oversight uh, role that the House has previously played? Okay, let's get another question in there. Anything over here? Yeah, I think the elephant in the room here is the media and I wonder if the Judicial Watch has any ideas or any involvement in trying to get their uh, their messages, it just saturates the country, the airwaves, the papers, magazines, TV shows, late night talk. Is there anything that the Judicial Watch can do to help blunt that a little bit? Okay, let's get a third one here. Yeah, a tremendous admiration for what you do. It, it takes a lot of courage, I'm sure. And when I try to put myself in your place, could you just say a little bit about the, surely, the many, many crosshairs that uh, you have to, f- people and forces that are, that are threatened by you. Can you say a little bit about that? Uh, I'll just get one more, because I won't be able to track more than four topics. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, Why don't we get this lady Sorry. up front here, thank you. I just wonder, will this ever end with the Mueller investigation <laughs> and everything else? That, or are we just going to go through through collision forever? Um, when I was really young, I remember President Nixon, you know, like he was in, like, <laughs> impeached or and um, him leaving, something dramatic like that happening. Or are we just going to put this underneath and just go on with life? Right. Well, I'll answer that last question first. I don't know what the Democrats are thinking on this. My guess is they'll be like the Republicans. Republicans always like corruption issues, not because they were interested in pursuing things to their logical end and substantively, but because they got a political uh, benefit from pursuing investigations to the degree they even did it. That's what their thinking was. So they didn't want to push too hard and get too many people upset. They just wanted their opponents to have a low-grade fever as a result of all of these investigations. And if I were Democrats, that's probably, you know, my guess is that's what they're thinking, that they don't want to push too hard, uh, and they just want to keep the president off kilter with investigations. And while pushing hard enough, uh, that keeps their, their lunatic base to the degree uh, they want to blow up the system happy. Uh so that's probably what's going to happen i I just don't think these investigations are going to go away even if the Mueller investigation ends the congressional investigation will take pick up you know the Democrats could do an impeachment inquiry you're just talking about talking about impeachment you know that would be you know that would be politically feasible for them uh that's what i would I would think about um the question about the Senate, uh, it's going to be up to individual senators to do this, I think. You know, Chuck Grassley's got a good team uh, in terms of following up and doing inquiries. Uh, otherwise, the Intelligence Committee, as currently constructed in the Senate, is uh, a creature of the intelligence community. Uh, so they're not going to do much. It's essentially being run by the Democrats. Uh, I just don't see much in the way of uh, the Senate doing anything other than by a uh, some individual members but you know they're having they're gonna have three more conservatives come into the house no no not really two what is the current plus for the Senate three maybe five three to five so Mitt Romney is going to be a weak sister uh, but uh, Cruz is still going to be there. I was you know you the incremental gains in the Senate for conservatives. Have outside uh, have, will have an outside influence or an outsized impact, so we may get better Senate investigations as a result. But I'm not hopeful. Uh, the media, while well, Judicial Watch uh, does what it can to get the word out through the media, the uh, the media has always been anti-Republican uh, and anti-conservative. Uh, Fox is successful because it is the opposition media and Uh, nature abhors a vacuum, and they've stepped into this vacuum. Uh, But, you know, we even had problems on Fox. My colleague Chris Farrell was on Fox, and he talked about George Soros and the caravan in a very factual way, and the left went crazy, and he's been banned from Fox for the foreseeable... As far as I know, I haven't been on Fox in two weeks. So, you know, uh, that's why we always have to use our own media. And this is, I think it's not so much a media issue, because... You know, Fox shows you, you know, as long as you've got a competent, widely available, conservative-oriented media, we can have wide – success. you know, we can really negate a lot of the negativity from the generally controlled liberal – the liberal-controlled big media. Uh, This is why the Internet freedom issue, I think, is a big issue, because the efforts by Facebook and the um, Twitter and these others to to censor conservatives is significant. You know, let me, let me be positive there. I mean, we're winning. We're winning in, on the Internet. We're winning on Fox News. We're winning on judges. If we were losing, the left wouldn't be breaking the rules to try to suppress us. They wouldn't be breaking the rules and assaulting senators to try to change the outcome. If we were not successful on the Internet, do you think, Corporations would put their necks in the line by suppressing conservative speech in an audacious ways. Of course not. But because they're desperate to keep us in a corner, and they realize they're not able to online, that's why they're breaking the rules to do so. So we got to really strongly defend ourselves. And I don't know, legally or legislatively, it's unlikely anything legislatively will happen over the next two years. But uh, I think that's an important issue. You know, look. We're not really in the crosshairs. I mean, there are people who don't like us, but um, I, I joke, the most dangerous thing I do is get on the red line. <laughs> uh, we were audited by the IRS during the, Clinton, the Clinton-Bush years. Um, you know, we've been harassed because of our criticism of George Soros, but we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing. And uh, the worst that will happen is, in my view, is that... Um, you know, we'll have more administrative costs for harassment by government agencies, but I just don't see it happening. Uh, if, if we go down or get into trouble well, because of mistakes we've made and we endeavor not to make mistakes. I mean, when you see me on TV, you know, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm just as crazy as you all are, but I try to keep it factual. I try to be strong and direct in my conclusions about what the facts show. Well, it's kind of hard to argue with someone who's coming on to disclose what's in a government document. So uh, by keeping things factual and honest and direct, I think you kind of protect yourself from too much in the way of criticism. It does not mean that they won't not criticize you, as Chris Farrell showed. Uh, But, uh, you know, take it on Soros, you get significant pushback. You're being called anti-Semitic or... Or race—I didn't know George Soros was was Jewish until recent. Until I was told criticizing him was anti-Semitic. <laughs> because that's not that's not why we do the work we do. We do, we, you know, George Soros has a billion dollars to spend this year, and he's getting tax dollars to to do his work as well. And he's his people are working uh, with the State Department, and USAID, to direct spending on other tax dollars. I mean, that's objectionable. George Soros is a radical leftist. Criticizing him is appropriate, especially when there's an intersection between the work he does and uh, the government support he's able to leverage to get that work done, where he's undermining the values we share here at home and abroad. And If he wants to do it on his dime, that's fine, but he shouldn't be doing it with your tax dollars, and we're not going to stop investigating that and exposing it. And again, it's because we were being effective that we get the criticism. So to the degree we do get, we are in the crosshairs. I kind of welcome that because it shows that we're on target. They hate what we've been saying about Mueller. I mean, whenever I get a call from a reporter telling them they want to do a a feature on me, I don't want to do a feature on me. Why do you want to do a feature on me? Who cares about what I do? It's about what Judicial Watch does. So, uh, at the beginning of the year, they were talking about, you know, how criticism of Mueller went from the fringes to the mainstream, and they gave credit to Judicial Watch and me for doing it, as opposed to millions of Americans who are critical of Mueller. You know, Judicial Watch is only successful if we're representing you well. I mean, if I'm saying things that don't make sense to people, or aren't uh, that people feel like they're not being vicariously uh, uh, you know that I'm not they they are living vicariously through our work in the sense of getting their work their their policy objectives achieved we won't be successful and we the only reason that judicial watch is successful is because we're we're a team and and our team happens to compose, if you know, 40 to 60% of the American public when you think about it. So that's why we're successful. And as long as we keep on uh, being committed to our mission, as I've described it, and just doing the hard work that I think Americans want us to do in light of the fact no one else is doing the hard work in Washington, I often say in the land, what's the old phrase? You know, everyone says judicial watch, this, all this great work. You know, I don't want to denigrate our work, but in the land of the blind. I mean, we're just, we're just asking questions that you all have that no one else wants to ask because they're politicians and for other silly reasons. So we're happy to be able to do the work, and I'll just close and say God bless America because there's no other country in the world that would allow a judicial watch to do the sort of things we do. I don't I don't have to I do not have to worry about being invited to the US consulate abroad and being choked to death and dismembered by members of the deep state. Yet. Yeah. But, uh, but seriously, that's, 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 the, that's the wonders of America, and this is a precious, precious right we have, the ability to hold our government to account the way we're able to under the law, because it's a right many, most citizens of the world don't have, and to the degree it's exercised by anyone else, they face threats to their life and limb and property. And I'm, I'm not just talking about uh, Timbuktu, I'm talking about uh, what are considered to be Western countries. When the United Kingdom, for instance, is only recently did they have a, uh, a FOIA law put in place. It was in the last decade or so. I'd like to say it's last year, but my, as I get older, my time constraints get elastic. But uh, we're, we live in a great country, and so that's why we've got to be adamant in protecting our right to know what our government's up to, and reminding the politicians that they work for us and not the other way around. Thank you very much for your time.